pastiche donata in Portugal, Turkish delight in Istanbul, and chocolate-covered macrona almonds in Barcelona. This week, it's all about sweets. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is the show where we travel and eat, two of life's great pleasures. And this week, it's the cherry on top, the icing on the cake. It's all about sweets and desserts. We've got treats from Portugal, Venice, Buenos Aires, Istanbul, and Barcelona. And that's a pretty good way to start the fourth year of Destination Eat Drink. Yep. I've been dropping new shows every week for the past three years, and today marks the start of year four at the Palatial Destination Eat Drink World Headquarters. And if you've been enjoying the podcast for three years or just three weeks, do me a favor. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download our little show. Okay, let's skip dinner and head straight for dessert. Destination Eat Drink. Andre Apolinario is the founder of Taste Porto, a foodie tour company in Porto, Portugal. Andre knows it all when it comes to the cuisine of Portugal and Porto, and he tells me about some of the best sweets to enjoy and the tales of their origin. If you're going to have a cup of coffee, you need a little, a little sweet to go with it. So, Andre, what are some of the typical sweets that we might get while we're in Porto? We love our sugar in the coffee coming not from a a pack of sugar but from uh, a pastry definitely (laughs) we love our sweets and our pastries actually um if you take a look uh, walking in town there's almost uh, a bakery uh in every single corner of of this city so uh we definitely love that uh what can you have well obviously that the national highlight would definitely be um the portuguese custard uh, although not being from the city, being from, from Lisbon originally, it's all over the city. Uh, uh, it, I believe it should be part of our uh, nationality test, uh, asking, with a cup of coffee, what's the pastry you should have? And you should answer, pastel de nata, the Portuguese uh, custard. <laughs> yes. So good. Um, it is really good, with a little bit of cinnamon on top. Yes, yes. And the cup of coffee to go along with it, it's it's right up there in one of my favorite breakfast combination. You should also find a jesuita. A jesuita is a, a milafoya pastry um, with custard inside and then topped with egg white and sugar glaze. In town, there's one place that does it accordingly to the original recipe. They're called Moda. Definitely the reference for a, a jesuita. But you'll find it in every single uh, bakery at the city. So the Ejuita, this... Jesuita, Jesuit. Oh, is this... Oh, okay, Jesuita. So the yeah. the Jesuits probably invented this. It seems like all the sweets in, uh, in Portugal are invented in monasteries. <laughs> um, maybe this is the story. I don't know. Uh, there's a, there are two fairy tales about it. So I'm going to sell you both and you can buy which one you want because that's what I did as well. (laughs) Good. Some say that uh, the baker that opened this bakery back uh, in the 19th century 
he had worked in a Jesuit monastery in, in Spain. And as a tribute to them, he decided to call the pastry Jesuita. So this is one of the stories. Uh, the other one comes from the fact that the color of the glaze uh, is quite similar to the color of the Jesuits' uh, vests. Okay. So others say that the name of it comes from, from there. Really, just choose whichever you want to buy, just as long as you buy a Jesuita to pair along with your cup of coffee. And then... <laughs> You could not care less about the, <laughs> the origin of the name. But yes, I would like to highlight something that you said there. There's a lot of Portuguese uh, pastries and baking that comes from uh, monasteries and convents. And if you go back in time, there's, there's a reason for such. The Benedictine Code of Conduct demanded the nuns and, and monks to 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 be industrious and to write. Uh, there were the the scientists back in the 16th, 17th century. They were writing all of the recipes uh, that they would find in the region that they lived uh, so that it would, instead of going from mouth to mouth, it would be written in, in books. And taking a close look at, at what they did, they, they actually used a lot of Egg whites, of course, that this that I'm about to say is fairy tale, but I'm, I'm I love this story. They were using egg whites as starch to iron their vests, okay. and also as a as a purifier agent for for white wine. Yeah, see, that's the story I heard is that they use the egg whites as a clarifying agent for the for the wines. Still today, actually, take a look at uh, the natural wine scene and biodynamic, and you'll see that they're back to using. Uh, the egg whites for such, meaning that they were left with a lot of egg yolks. Right. With the arrival of sugarcane in, in Europe, you get egg yolks, sugar, and they had a lot of free time in those convents and, and monasteries. Right, right. So adding all, adding all three together, the, the world of baking and pastries was just bloom and exploded in, right there. There are, if you take a look at, and not this is the serious part of it, uh, if you take a look at uh, the origin of our pastries, they do come from 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 monasteries and, and, and convents because, again, they had the resources that no one else had back then. So they developed baking and cooking back then in convents. So still today, things like the custards, the millefeuille technique, um, and other, like the the sweet eggs, the ovos the soft eggs that we do in Aveiro, but so many more, like pastéis de tentuga. There's a, a wide area of pastries that you can eat in Portugal that came from, from the convent tradition, definitely. Monica Cesarato is a food tour guide in Venice. She runs down some of the famous sweets in Venice, including one to have at Carnival. Uh, you can send us all your bills for over decades on your teeth because <laughs> if sugar is actually widespread all over the world as a, as a, you know, for desserts and so on, you owe it to Venetians because if the Venetians, uh, when uh, sugar was imported from uh, the Middle East, are the people that realize that it wasn't just a medicine and an energizer, but it can substitute honey. And from there, then patisserie was born. Then the French and the Austrians developed it, but it was the Venetians that originally understood that. 
Okay. okay, there you go. Venice gets credit. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's in the history books. We had the massive cane sugar plantations in Cyprus. So, mm. you know. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so it's history. It's, I'm not making it up. Um, right. So, um, in Venice. But if you come over during Carnival, absolutely, you must try the frittella. The frittella, it's officially... From the 1600, I think, uh, the queen, the dessert, the official dessert of Venice, okay, by law. <laughs> there was a law in Venice, uh, there was a piece of paper that declared the frittella with uh, a specific recipe. The frittella was the queen of cakes. And it's like a shoe pastry that we deep fry, and the classical ones got um, uh, raisins in it, okay? And a little bit of uh, orange uh, zest and lemon zest and so on. And, it's, and then it's powdered with um, icing sugar. Very, very nice. Otherwise, uh, another thing that you should try the last one, is zaetto, that is a typical Venetian cookie. Zaio in Venetian means yellow because it's made with yellow polenta flour, and it's very nice. Shafik Meji is a travel writer who's written travel guides to South America, including Argentina. He tells me about alfajores, a unique Argentine treat. Yeah, it's actually, it's interesting. I mean, I think a lot of people who maybe haven't visited Argentina when want to think about the country, they think of beef, right? which is entirely correct. But there's a few other kind of quintessentially Argentine dishes or part of their culinary culture. Um, and one of them that is, is little known outside of Latin America are these things called alfajores. Um, they're, they're essentially um, kind of a mix of cookie cakes two of them sandwiched on top uh, uh, between uh, with dulce de leche, which is kind of a, a thick, sticky caramel in the middle, and then uh, covered in chocolate. Mm. So that's that's the uh, that's one of the most common. There's there's myriad um, variations of them. Um, so th- so these um, cakey biscuits, Argentines uh, produce the most in the world. They consume roughly a billion a year, according to some estimates. So okay. Um, it's a huge amount, and um, uh, they're sold throughout the country. There's lots of regional variations. Um, the uh, the different brands, you know, they're, they're kind of they they inspire a lot of loyalty. In, in one of the interviews I did for the um, article for the BBC that's coming out a bit later this year, um, compared it to supporting a uh, soccer team. Oh, so I mean, it's and you have those kind of rivalries, often regionally based. But if you travel to Argentina as a, um, you know, as a visitor, it's something that you'll see um, across the country in uh, in coffee shops, in what they call kioscos, which are just like roadside shops. Um, if you go to uh, bakeries, you often see homemade ones. Um, and they're, they're an essential part of um, Argentine life. And they're also delicious. Now, you're a journalist, so I won't ask you to say which regional specialty of uh, alfajores is your favorite. But could you describe maybe the differences between the regional alfajores? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, there's two main types that you'll that you'll come across. One is the um, the home baked ones, which are either made in people's homes or in bakeries or um, in in many of the coffee shops. And that's um, typically um, kind of a crumbly. If you kind of imagine a, a slightly soft shortbread type biscuit, dulce de leche in the middle, and it's often sprinkled with um, desiccated coconut, uh, maybe ice and sugar, and it's kind of um, it's got a much uh, softer 
texture. And then there's then there's the commercial brands that um yeah sold in sold in um, kioscos and in um, supermarkets and shops country over. The most famous of these brands is Havana, uh, who also have their own chain of coffee shops, and they're um, and they're the chocolate covered ones. Um, but within that, there's there's kind of infinite infinite variations. Um, so some will have jam, some will have uh, in the middle instead of dulce de leche. Uh, some will have white chocolate. Some will be uh, triple layered. Uh, I, I just tasted some recently for my research um, that had a. Uh, uh, it's all it's all research, right, Chaffik? Uh, as I said, I mean this 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 I have to admit is one of the uh, nicer parts of the job, and certainly one <laughs> one of the uh, <laughs> if not necessarily for my waistline. Um, but yeah, there's also kind of in, uh, Alfaro is a very, um, kind of an affordable, simple kind of uh, something that, that that every class in Argentina will have. But in in recent years, there's been a lot of uh, luxury varieties, um, and they're kind of taking, you know, chocolatier skills and adding lots of different, um, kind of fancier, fancier flavors. Um, so, um, so I tried one, uh, another one recently that's had, uh, Malbec wine, which is, uh, oh. um, one, one of Argentina's signature or Argentina's signature red wines, uh, involved in the biscuit. And I had another one that was, uh, almost like a lemon pie flavored. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there were dozens, hundreds, potentially even thousands of different variations. And this is just the Argentine alcohol. There, there were, there were different types in Brazil and Chile, all the way up to uh, Central America. I would have to imagine getting one fresh in a coffee shop or a cafe or something in Buenos Aires would be infinitely superior than getting one in packaged in a grocery store. Do you have a favorite place or a nice place that you would like to uh, recommend to folks to go in Buenos Aires where they could get one of these? Definitely. I mean, I, I think if for a non for a non Argentine, um, the commercial brands have a lot of nostalgia value. Um, many people have them as as children, as a treat, if they okay. go and see their grandparents as they um, <laughs> they come out of school. Many schools will actually have kioscos in their in their grounds, in their playgrounds. So, um, as I say, but if you're not Argentine, obviously you don't have that that link to them. Definitely, I'd, I'd recommend going to get them home baked. One of my favourite places, which in some ways, I um, I'm uh, slightly reluctant to recommend because it's one of those places that uh, you know it's not quite a hidden gem, uh, not one, but it's um, it, it, it's something that I have a lot of affection for. Um, it's called Malvon, um, and it's a uh, cafe, bakery, restaurant, um, and it's kind of on the borders of the Villa Crespo and Palermo neighbourhoods, um, and it's an incredibly atmospheric place it's quite eccentric decor they have old telephones and unusual paintings and um, they've got a lovely terrace at the back but they also produce um, for me some of the some of the best baked goods uh, sweet and savory in the city um, and uh, among them are some uh, delicious alfajores. Yugur Ildiz is a foodie tour guide for culinary backstreets in Istanbul Turkey and when we talk about turkey and sweets we have to talk about Turkish delight. Uger tells me about the treat and how it fits into modern Turkish cuisine. Turkish delight has a long history, about four centuries old, uh, in coming from the Ottoman times. Uh, the ingredients actually are quite basic. It's water, sugar, starch as a thickener, pectant, and then the flavors. Uh, 
whether fruit flavors, it can be herbs, uh, rose leaves, uh, of course, many nuts as well, pistachios, walnuts, hazelnut, everything. So all those put together makes uh, the Turkish delight, which is like a chewy jelly bean candy of the old uh, traditional style Ottoman times. And as you said, uh, definitely having it in Turkey is a whole lot different and better than having it abroad. Uh, that's another thing, just like the eggplant, many of the guests uh, are shocked uh, by the difference and uh, how much better it is over here. Uh, the Nowadays, with the availability of all these other sweets, candy bars and everything, and chocolate, of course, becoming popular too, uh, we don't consume it as much anymore as the older times. But during the holidays, especially the Muslim holidays, uh, which take place uh, two times a year, that's uh, the must-have and must-serve thing uh, when you do visit uh, your family members. Going from house to house, uh, you always get offered the Turkish light as the first greeting thing. And also you take a box of it as a, a present when you are visiting your elders. Uh, it's also popular alongside the Turkish coffee. In the older days, when they didn't have the processed sugar to sweeten the coffee, they will put some of that along uh, on the site to balance the bitterness of the coffee. Paula Morenza lives in Barcelona, where she gives food tours to visitors in her city. She tells me about all the different cocas in Barcelona and other delicious desserts. Well, uh, the most traditional thing to have in Catalonia, if you are a sweet tooth, is uh, probably the cocas. Cocas, I mean, we, we have different things. Barcelona is also a city of chocolate with a great tradition in chocolate. But the most traditional pastry are the cocas that the different pastisseries elaborate, especially for certain holidays. No, every holiday has their specific kind of cake. A coca can have different shapes. The word coca came from cook. It has this Germanic root and uh, could be similar to a brioche or could be made of mil like a milful. Uh, normally they have almonds on top, sometimes only sugar, sometimes candied fruit, sometimes cream like custard inside or whipped cream inside. There are different varieties, but uh, the pastisseries, they, they always offer this uh, special seasonal cocas when it is San Juan, like uh, St. John, you know, in June or during, I don't know, Easter, or for San Jordi, you are going to have like a specific kind of bread too. Different holidays, they have the different cocas. There are cocas like la coca de vidra or la coca de llavaneras that you are going to find also as a dessert in different restaurants. This, for me, is the most traditional one. Then the most famous dessert is la crema catalana, the Catalan cream, that is like a creme brulee. I think that probably this is already too famous, no? This custard with the sugar that is torched and transforming in caramel on top that is uh, shared a little bit uh, culture with France. I mean, we have it in, in France and in Catalonia. Um, about chocolate, I want to mention, I mean, like super traditional shops or amazing chocolatiers like um, Escriba or Oriol Balaguer for instance, and probably the most famous chocolate candy itself that is the Catania. The Catania. Catanias are little chocolates that they are made, they are originally from Villafranca del Penedes, where it is also the capital of cava production in, in, in the province of Barcelona. And there it was this pastry shop where they started to make these little balls of chocolate uh, that have inside an almond 
it is a Marcona almond. You know, Marcona almonds are the most delicious almonds. We produce Marcona almonds yes. in, in Catalonia. Yes, so good. That they are caramelized. Then they have like a nougat around made uh, also with a little bit of hazelnut, almond, and some secret ingredients that they don't want to reveal. <laughs> Plus another layer of like a chocolate uh, in powder. And the result is delicious. They are very easy to find in boxes uh, or uh, in bulk, no? In like traditional pastisseries, normally they have them in bulk. And nowadays also the family who makes the Catanias, uh, nowadays they are also producing different flavors with yogurt, with uh, uh, lemon varieties, no? because they are an institution already in Catalonia. Okay, there you go. I'd say that's a pretty good way to kick off your four of the podcast with pastiche donatas, carnival cakes, alfajores, Turkish delight, chocolate, Marcona almonds. I've got links to all my guests' appearances on the podcast and their contact info in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED157. That's it for this week. Next week, we're in Emilia Romagna. That's Italy. And we're going to learn all about balsamic vinegar. Not the cheap stuff in the grocery store, but the real balsamic. I've also just posted a news story on the website. And since this week's episode was about sweets, I posted about the famous flavor of Turin, chocolate hazelnut. Of course, there's chocolate hazelnut everything today, but that combination originated in Turin, Italy. And I've got the story of how it happened and some of the great places to enjoy this combination of flavors in Turin. Get that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and a guy who eats dessert first, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink. A presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.